Hello, my name is Jeff Swearingen, and I'm addicted to stuff. You know, it feels good just to say it out loud, and I can see the tender, loving care in your eyes. I'm addicted to stuff like clothing. Now, I know that's kind of weird for a guy to admit, maybe, but I really love to wear new clothes. I do. I, I love the smell in the men's department at the local store. I like clothes. And here's the sad thing, when I took all those clothes out of my closet this morning, it barely made a dent. I'm kind of embarrassed by that. I'm also addicted to technology and gadgets. I love my laptop computer and all the cool things I can do. And I, I love my iPod, you know, and all the amazing things I can download on that. And, and, and I love a flat screen TV. And I got a cell phone recently, a new one, and I didn't just get a new a cell phone, but I got a new cell phone. I really thoroughly enjoyed spending quite a bit of time getting it all set up just the way I like it. I am addicted to technology and gadgets. There's one other thing I'm addicted to when it comes to spending money. I love to spend money on traveling. I mean, if I had time, I would travel a lot. I love the buzz of being in an airport, and I, I love driving down the highway, and I love planning out a trip. I love spending money on traveling. Now, some of you are sitting there judging me because you are not addicted to any of those things. You don't care about clothing or electronic gadgets or traveling. But you know what? You have your addictions too. It's just to different stuff. How many of you are addicted to books? I mean, you have bookshelves at home that are overflowing with hundreds of books. Some of them you've never even read. How many of you are addicted to figurines where i come from in the midwest we called them knickknacks you know those little porcelain kind of figurines that sit around you have some of you have special glass cases that you keep your figurines displayed in and if somebody moves a figurine just a fraction of an inch there's a problem some of you are addicted to other people's stuff at garage sales <laughs> you go dig through their trash and take home a treasure for yourself some of you are addicted to big toys like New cars, motorcycles, boats. Some of you are addicted to fishing gear. I bet if we went in your garage, we'd find a whole wall lined with fishing poles and all kinds of gear. Maybe it's golf stuff for you that you're addicted to. Yeah, before you judge me too quickly, you have to also admit that you are addicted to stuff. Now, we don't call it stuff when we first buy it, do we? No, it's something of great value to us when we first purchase it, but when our garage and our closets become overflowing with stuff and we have to go out and rent a self-storage unit just to store all of our stuff. Did you know, by the way, that uh, the self-storage industry is rapidly increasing in America? There are now 30,000 of those kinds of facilities around the country. And in the late 1960s, do you know how many there were? None. The industry didn't exist. It is now today a $12 billion a year industry. It's bigger than the music industry. We are addicted to stuff. Well, I'm glad you're here today as we begin this new series called The ABCs of Financial Success. And I am looking forward to our time together as we really dig into this both uh, here on Sunday mornings and in our life groups. I want to encourage you and ask you to do something this week. I, I want to encourage you to jump online at Amazon or someplace and get this book, The ABCs of Financial Success by Barry Cameron. It is the book that we're basing a lot of our study here on Sunday mornings and in our life groups. And I want to encourage you, pick this book up and read it. It is excellent stuff. 
And not only will you get to hear a lot of it right here, but then you'll get it reinforced as you read along at home. So I encourage you to pick that up. Somebody after uh, first service gave me a hard time. They said, you talked about money, then you told us to go out and buy a book. It's an inexpensive book, okay? Just don't use your credit card to buy it, okay? Talk about that next week. So we're going to talk about our addiction to stuff. Now, our goal of the series is not to make you feel guilty for having nice things or enjoying the blessings of life. That's not it at all. In fact, it's okay to have nice things. Can we just be really clear about that up front? It's okay to have things, and it's okay to enjoy the blessings of life. Secondly, this series is not just about giving more money to the church. Now, we're going to talk about giving because it is part of God's plan for our finances that He reveals in the Bible, but it's not just about that. In fact, we're not even going to talk about that for two or three weeks. Now, the goal of this series is for us to honestly look into God's Word and understand what His plan is for our finances and for us to discover God's wisdom, God's plan, God's guidance for our finances. Now, the reality is most Americans don't think they have any problem when it comes to money. I mean, we think as long as I can pay the monthly bills and I've got a few dollars in my pocket for some mad money or for for fun, and I've got enough money that once in a while I can satisfy my addiction to stuff, then everything's fine. But the truth is, most Americans and most Christ followers also have a real problem with money. We are, if we admit it, horribly in debt. We do not manage our money very well. We have bought into the whole thing that it's okay to buy everything on credit. We don't have very much money in our savings and we give very little money back to God. We have a problem with money. Now, I, uh, even though we have a problem, often I think we are a lot like Harry Truman. Not the one that was president, but the Harry Truman who lived on Mount St. Helens. And back in 1980, where he lived with his 23 cats, the mountain began to rumble. But he lived there all his life, and so when people said to him, they even had him on TV, and they would say to him, Harry, The mountain is going to erupt. You need to get out of there. And his response was, I've lived here all my life. I know there's not a problem. Everything will be okay. Seismologists, scientists contacted him and said, Harry, the mountain's going to erupt. You've got to get out of there. And he protested and said, I know it's going to be okay. There's not a problem. His sister even called him and said, Harry, the mountain's going to erupt. Get out of there. He said, there's not a problem. I'll be okay. On May 29th, 1980, Mount St. Helens erupted with the force 500 times greater than the bomb dropped at Hiroshima, and not a trace of Harry nor his cats has ever been found. Now, I hope there are no Harry Trumans here who want to deny that there is a problem. And I hope over the course of the next few weeks that we will do something we don't like to do very much, and that is be willing to talk openly and honestly about the subject of money. And for some reason, I know we avoid that subject We don't like to talk about it with anybody. But I want us to talk about it, and I want us to look at what the Bible has to say. And I want you to understand, God cares about every part of your life, including the area of our finances. So we're going to dig in today. And we're going to begin in this series by talking about our attitude. But before we do that, I want to pray for us and for our time together over the next five weeks. God, I just want to ask you that as we study for the next several weeks, that, God, you would really help us to just honestly and openly deal with this subject. That, God, you would open our hearts, you would tear down the obstacles that stand in the way of us dealing with this subject. And, God, you would remind us through your Holy Spirit that you really do care about every area of our lives, including 
our finances. And God, would you help us as we seek truth to find it and to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we dig in today with the the A, which stands for attitude. Our attitude toward money. And it's here that we need to begin because, you know, attitude is the one thing that we can change in our lives that has a huge impact. In fact, until we begin to change our attitude towards money, I can just about promise our financial condition is not going to change. It begins by changing our attitude. And so we're going to dive into that today. I like what William James said. He said, one can alter his life by altering his attitude. And Ralph Waldo Emerson said it this way. He said, what lies behind us and what lies before us are small matters compared to what lies within us. And what lies with deep within us is our attitude about money. And I want to challenge us today to think about changing some of the attitudes that we have let our culture shape in our lives. I think David, King David, who we read about in the Old Testament, had a great attitude about stuff and about money. And I want us to look at a few verses, a prayer that he spoke when he was ruling as king over Israel. Now remember, David had an ever-expanding kingdom. He ruled powerfully, and he ruled with great, immense wealth. But the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. And I think one of the reasons that David is called a man after God's own heart is even amidst the wealth that he possessed, I want you to listen to the attitude that he shares about his possessions. It's found in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and if you want to turn to that in your Bible, it's... Uh, Towards the beginning of the Old Testament, you'll find First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and then First Chronicles. If you want to open your Bible there, or it's going to come up on the side screen. Listen to what David prays. Verse 10, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Now David stands before, I don't know, maybe hundreds of people who have gathered on this day. He stands as their king. And he begins to declare the greatness of God. And he says, God, you have always been. From the very beginning, throughout all of history, you have always existed. Verse 11, he says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Now remember, this is the king who stands before his people and he acknowledges You know what? The real greatness here is not me. The real glory is not in my kingship. The real majesty is not me. The real glory and majesty and greatness are in God. He continues, For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor, he acknowledges, come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Well, I think David, as he expresses his attitude there about money and about possessions, he exposes two myths that we often buy into when it comes to our attitude towards money. And I want to expose those a little bit today. The first is the myth of ownership. The myth of ownership. We have subscribed to the myth that all things that are in our current possession, that we own them. But that's not true. Ownership is an understanding that skews our attitude towards stuff. Think about it. We invest such enormous amounts of time and energy in gathering and in holding on to possessions. 
I mean, think about it. We gather possessions and then we do everything we can to protect them, uh, to keep hold of them, to paint them, to insure them, to maintain them, to guard them. And then what happens? We die. And our stuff gets passed on to someone else and the process, the cycle starts all over again. And they protect them and paint them and pack them and pursue them and insure them. And the cycle continues. Doesn't it seem silly that we spend our whole life getting stuff and then what happens when we depart for eternity? What value are those things to us then? They're of zero value. You see, ownership is a myth. If you can't take something with you when you die, you don't really own it. Do you remember um, about a year or so ago when they really tightened up the airport restrictions and allowed in terms of what you were allowed to carry onto an airplane? I remember when that first happened. I didn't happen to travel during that time, but I can remember watching on the news the lines of people, people who would show up at the airport and they didn't realize that certain sizes of liquid bottles or certain kinds of liquids or certain kinds of makeup and all that kind of stuff, they weren't allowed. And so they would go through the, get up to the, the airport security line and they had a choice to make. They could either throw that stuff away and go on through the line and go on with their journey or they could stay there with their stuff paralyzed, not going anywhere, but holding on to their stuff. There are a lot of people in life who seem to have become paralyzed by their stuff. They're not going anywhere. They're just standing around holding on to their possessions. They're not going anywhere personally. They're not growing as a person. They're not going anywhere spiritually. They're not growing in their relationship with God. They're just paralyzed, stuck holding on to their stuff. And Jesus said, the only stuff that you get to take with you when you pass from this life is the stuff that you have invested in heaven before you die. Now, now, what does that mean? Well, it means the stuff that we invest in people who will also be in eternity. It means the stuff that we invest in God's kingdom through the local church. It means the stuff that we invest in what God's doing. And Jesus says that's the stuff that will matter to us when we pass from this life to the next. Now, if we don't own it, then who does? Well, David says pretty clearly, God does. Listen to what he says in verse 11. He says, for everything, and last time I checked the definition of everything, it still meant everything. In heaven and your earth is yours, is God's. David said a, a similar thing in Psalm 24. He said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it it all belongs to god now here's the cool thing it all belongs to god but he has allowed me the privilege of being a temporary manager of his stuff he's entrusted his stuff to my care and said you know what jeff while you're there on earth you can use my stuff you take care of it you manage it for me i know i've shared this illustration before but i think it illustrates this more clearly than anything i can think of I can remember a few years ago, and this has probably happened to all of us who are parents, I remember taking the boys to McDonald's, I think. You know, we went in, and for some reason, I didn't order any food, but I ordered them fries and a Coke, and I sat down and thought, boy, that, I'm kind of thirsty, I'll take just a sip of the Coke, and so I did, and, and then I smelled those golden morsels of fat, <laughs> and I started to reach across the table to take one of their french fries, and you know what they did? 
They grabbed him and said, no, Dad, they're mine. And I thought to myself, you don't understand. I'm the one who bought those fries for you. You don't understand. I could go back to the counter and lay down some money and I could bury you in French fries. Why do you think they're yours? They didn't understand. Those fries really belong to me. But you know what I was really looking for in them? I was looking for just a small sense of generosity on their part and an understanding that they didn't belong. They didn't own those fries. They weren't theirs. They were really mine. And every day you and I go to McDonald's with our Heavenly Father and He provides for everything we need. Why then do we wrap our arms around our stuff and say, no, it's mine. When in reality, it belongs to God. You know what? I, I need to make a confession to you this morning. Just a second. Ten years ago, I borrowed this tool. I did. From one of you. It's no surprise to him now, but when I brought it out in first service, Kevin was pretty surprised to see it again. It's been in my garage in a corner for ten years. It's no kidding. I forgot about it. I'd see it occasionally and think, I ought to give that back. And then I'd forget about it again. And to be honest, after a while, it got in such a condition that I thought, I can't give that back now. <laughs> now, I laugh about it, but honestly, in some ways, I'm embarrassed to tell you this morning and to tell you that I've held on to this that long and to tell you, you know what? I haven't taken very good care of it because it was in much better shape than this when it was loaned to me. And it doesn't belong to me, and I haven't cared for it very well. Someday all of us will stand before God and He'll ask us to give an accounting of how we've taken care of His possessions that He entrusted to our care. And for some of us, that will be a very joyful moment because we will have done well. And for others, it will be a moment of deep regret because we'll be embarrassed that we haven't done a very good job of taking care of something that was loaned to us, that was entrusted to our care. And Kevin, if you want, you can have that back today. But probably I should buy you a new one. <laughs> you know what? I have to be reminded of this principle pretty often in my life. In fact, in my journal that I uh, write in and pray from, I have a long list of things that I pray about that are divided up by days of the week. And one of the things that I pray every Sunday, because I need the reminder, I pray about this very issue of ownership. And so I prayed this morning, God, would you again remind me today that all the stuff that I have is not really mine, You've entrusted it to my care. And God, would you help me to hold it loosely? Would you help me to be generous with it? And God, would you help me to take care of it in a way that honors and glorifies you? Now, maybe you don't need that reminder, but I do. Because I get pretty easily mixed up and I buy right into the myth of ownership that I really own everything, when in reality, I don't. It all belongs to God. There's a second myth, and it is the myth of two masters. I want you to notice this, something that David says, but it is very, very subtle. And if you don't read carefully, you read right over this. But he makes an important declaration about his life and about the country that he rules in verse 13. He says in verse 13, Now, our God, we give you thanks. Now, what's so significant about that? 
Because you know what he does in just that short phrase? He acknowledges before everyone who is gathered there who really is master. Who really is in control. Who really is God. David is not God. The real God is the God who is in heaven. And in doing so, David makes clear the myth of two masters that you and I sometimes want to buy into. In fact, he blows that myth away. Now listen to what Jesus taught a few, many years later while he was here on earth. Jesus taught this. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then so that he was, made sure he was absolutely clear about what he was talking about, Jesus said this, you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. You know what? Stuff, for a lot of us, is God's main rival in life. Isn't it true? Stuff and our money is God's main rival in most of our lives. Now I want you to play along with me here for a minute. I want you to take your wallet out. Guys, out of your back pocket if that's where you have it. Ladies, reach down in your purse. Come on, play along with me. Everybody take out your wallet. Relax. If you grew up in the church, don't worry. We're not going to do the old thing where I'm going to ask you to pass your wallet to somebody else. Open their wallet, reach in, pull out all their cash, and give like you've always wanted to give. If you grew up in church, you've heard that someplace, haven't you? And I always thought that was the stupidest thing. Who's going to do that? Got your wallet out? I want you to rub it. Yeah, look inside. Be reminded of the contents. Make sure they are all still there. Nobody escaped. Rub it some more. Maybe you want to hold it up. You know what? Your wallet, our wallets, this little container has become the temple of the 21st century. The God of money for most of us lives right inside of this container. A lot of us have bought into the idea that our happiness in life is dependent on the contents of this little container. We've bought into the idea that this little container, the money and the credit cards that are contained in there, are supposed to do for us what in reality the Bible says only God can do for us. We have grown to believe that our feelings of security and value and safety are dependent on the contents of this container. But it's simply not true. We think that our security is found in our money. God says, I am the one who wants to give you security. We bought into the idea that how much money I have in this little container or the kinds of cars that I drive or the kind of house that I live in, that that's what gives me identity in this world. God says, I want to give you an identity and I want your identity to be based on who I am in you. We think that this container is a little God to us. And we bow down to it regularly. It really comes down to a question of who's in charge? Am I holding it? Or is it holding me? <laughs> what if I did ask you to pass your wallet to somebody else? You wouldn't feel very good about that, would you? Because we have placed so much value on what's in here. You can put it away safely so that you'll be able to relax, okay? But I want you to listen to what Jesus said. In Luke 12, Jesus said, watch out. 
Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's a bit different than what our culture would say, though, wouldn't they? They would say that our life absolutely consists of how much we can acquire. But that's a myth. It's the myth of two masters. Jesus, after he made that statement, went on to tell a story. And if you read it in your Bible, the the little heading that men have added is the rich fool. It's a story about a young farmer who was a real entrepreneurial type guy. And he was extremely successful. In fact, his crops were coming in at such a rate that he couldn't even hold it in his current barns anymore. And so you know what he did as a, as a smart businessman. He tore down his barns and he built bigger ones so that they could hold more crops. And the crops just continued to be excellent and he was on economic easy street. He was building for retirement. He was saying, you know what, I'll just take it easy. I'll eat, drink, and be merry because life is so good. And you know what Jesus said to him? Jesus said, you're a fool because tonight, you're going to lose your life. And then what value will those possessions be? You know what? He had bought into the idea that storing grain or building a 401k or funding an IRA would solve all of his problems in human existence. He was bowing at the shrine of the bulging barn. Know anybody like that? Know anybody who's tempted to bow at the same shrine? Listen to what else Jesus said at the end of that story. He said, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. See, it's so easy, isn't it? To buy into the myth of two masters. Jesus says it it just can't happen. You can only have one master. And we would be much wiser to pursue a rich relationship with God than we would be to pursue the master of money. But it requires a change in attitude towards our money. I want to invite you to do something. When you go home today, I want you to find your calendar. If you use Outlook, you can do this somehow on your computer. But I want you to take that calendar out for February and go to February 10th today with a red marker or a pen or something, I want you to draw a circle around February 10th. And I want you to write beside that, enough day. And I want you to commit that this would be the day you would decide it's enough. Now, I'm not saying for the rest of your life you're not going to buy any more things or you're going to stop enjoying the things that you've been blessed with. But what I am saying is that today, why don't we decide it's enough? And we're not going to give in to the myth of ownership anymore. That we're going to live like we really understand that all I have has been entrusted to me by God. It's not mine. I'm just supposed to take care of it and manage it. And I'm not going to buy into the myth that I can have two masters, that God and money can both rule my life. But that I want to be wise and I want to have a richer relationship toward God, that that's more valuable to me than money. And today would be the day that you kind of draw a line in the sand of your life and say, enough. And I don't know how often it is for you. Maybe it's every day. Maybe it's once a week. Maybe it's once a month. But you go back and you look at that calendar occasionally and you be reminded regularly that today you decided it's enough. And I'm going to begin to change my attitude towards money. And if you'll do that today, 
then as we explore some other principles from the Bible in the coming weeks, God really wants to transform the way you operate financially in your life. And it will make a dramatic difference. Would you pray with me? God, would you change our hearts today? God, would you help us to draw that line in the sand that says enough? Enough. God, we're going to change our attitude towards money. And we're going to see it the way that you do. God, I know you'll bless us as we do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.